So do you know what today is? It is actually the very first Sunday of Lent. And Lent is that season where we spend 40 days, excluding Sundays actually, where we prepare ourselves for Easter. We take on certain practices like prayer and fasting and abstinence, self-denial, and, um, and, and repentance. In that, we want to identify with Christ in His suffering and in His sacrifice. And we want to reflect on His life, the life that He lived and the death that He died for us. And so, our overall goal in these next 40 days plus Sundays as we move toward Easter is to become more like Jesus. Now, you and I know that we look at that as a daunting expectation. How could I ever become like Jesus? How could you ever become like Jesus? In order to fully surrender ourselves to God as Jesus did, it takes audacious faith. To be able, like Jesus, to journey to the cross, believing that there would be a victory in the resurrection, it takes incredible faith. And so, over these next six weeks, we're going to talk about audacious faith as we move toward the cross with Jesus. So, I want to show you a picture, okay? This is a lady whose name was Ellen, Erlene, rather, I'm sorry, Erlene Brunkow. As you can see, she was born in 1920, and she died in December of 2020, only two months ago. She lived to be 100 years of age. Pretty cool, huh? Her mother lived to be 99, and her father lived to be 103. So longevity ran in her family. She, she worked at Southern Nazarene University next door. She was a member of our church, Bethany First Church of the Nazarene. She taught children here for over 30 years, and for more years than that, she served and prepared funeral dinners for people who were going through a very heavy time in their lives. The people who wrote her obituary said, Erlene was the kind of person who was always trying to help others. And she always preached to people, live like Jesus. So because we're not doing funerals like we normally do, and I didn't think as many people would really know of her passing, I thought it would be a great way to honor her day to talk about her. But I also thought she would serve as a great backdrop for you and I to think about our lives and our future. So how long are you going to live? Will you make it to 100? Things are just floating around up here today, you know. And what about your life? What will people say about you when you're gone? So I looked up online to see what the average life expectancy is of a person in the United States of America today, and that age is 79. Now that's not the limit, that's the average. My mother-in-law in a couple of months will be 89. So she's beating the odds. And there's probably people watching and people in the room who you would say, I've beaten the odds too. But the average is 79. So here's what I did. I asked myself, okay, Rick, if you live the average age, how many more years do you have left? And since I'm 59 years old right now, I realize that I have 20 years left. I'm just going to level with you and tell you that now I am all in this conversation. They've got my attention, okay? When I think about maybe only living 20 years longer, and who knows, I may not live that much longer, I begin to think about what do I want to do with the last 20 years? 
What do I want him to look like? And I was a little shocked by my own response. I didn't think about things like, oh, I want to retire earlier, and I want to travel more, and I want to have more time for pleasure and leisure and fun and all of those kinds of things. It was the opposite. I began to feel a great deal of responsibility about these last 20 years. I wonder how many people in the room would say, with whatever I've got left, and some of you have got a lot left, I want to be a better person, and I want my focus to be on other people, and I want the spotlight to be off of me. You know, a few years ago, as a church, we made a bold decision. And we said, this is who we want to become. We felt so strongly about it, we wrote it on the wall of the west entrance. And this is what we wrote. We said, we are passionate. And we said it knowing that we weren't totally passionate yet. We said it kind of prophetically in a sense, realizing that some of us aren't passionate at all about these things, and the rest of us need to become a lot more passionate. But we said, we are passionate about becoming more like Jesus, how we are living our lives, okay, becoming more like Jesus and helping others come to know Him. And so I just got to ask you in this moment, where are you personally in this conversation? Would you say, Rick, that's right now where I'm living. I, I want to be more like Jesus. That's my heart's cry. That's my, that's my greatest desire. That's what I'm aiming for with whatever I've got left on this earth. I want to seek to become more like Christ. I want people to see Jesus in me, and I want to help other people come to know Jesus. You see, here's the truth of the matter. We are all evolving. You are not who you were a year ago, I promise you. And a year from now, you will not be who you are now. We are changing constantly. We are evolving. The question is, who are you becoming more like? And what are you evolving into? Really, what kind of person are you becoming? The question I'm really asking you is way more simple, and it's what do you want? With the rest of your life on this earth, what do you want most? And I've got a feeling in these next few minutes we spend together, in the minds of a few people in this room, there is going to be a battle waging as you sort through what you really want to become with your life. I want to stop here and say something that's critical, and that is that God loves you. I can't say it loud long enough. I can't emphasize it strongly enough. If God had a refrigerator up in heaven, your picture would be on it. He's nuts about you. He dreams about your future all the time. He loves you more than anybody else in this world will ever begin to love you. God is absolutely nuts about you. And when he dreams about your future and what you have left on this earth, he has high hopes and big dreams for you. And he expresses them to us through the words of his son, Jesus. And here's what they are, okay? Let me read to you from Matthew 28, verse 16 and 20. 
So then the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And when they saw him, they worshiped him. Now this is after the resurrection, but Matthew reminds us there were still some doubters in the group. Some doubted him. And then Jesus came to them and he said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, and he gives three imperatives. With whatever time you have left on this earth, this is what I want you to give your life to. Go make disciples of all nations. Number two, baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And number three, I want you to teach them everything that I've commanded you. And then comes this incredible promise when he says, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. I remember 20 years ago or so, I picked up a book called The External Church by a guy named Rick Russo. And he told a story about a man who was standing in a church service like this on a Sunday morning, sharing his story about how he came to know Jesus. The man was an auto mechanic. And he said, I called a friend that went to church and I asked him if he would take me to his church because I didn't think I really knew how to go to church. I'd never been to church before. I think we stop and say, what? What do you mean you don't know how to go to church? Who wouldn't know how to go to church? But Russo pauses and says, would you know how to go to a Buddhist temple? Would you know how to attend a mosque? Are there assigned seats or do you sit wherever in those places? If you're not a believer, are you expected to kneel and bow or are you not expected to kneel and bow? And Russo said, we live in a world today where there are many people who have no idea how to go to church. And so I just got to stop and look you in the eye a minute, and I've just got to stop and ask myself the question too. Who are the people in your life and my life that aren't likely to go to church unless they're invited by someone like you and me? Because maybe they're just not sure they know how to go to church. And who are the people that God's bringing to your mind, in my mind right now, who if we simply said, you know, I'm going to church Sunday, I wish you would go with me. They would accept the invitation because they know they would be sitting beside you and me and they wouldn't feel out of place. You know, in this passage, Jesus says clearly, I have authority, it's given to me by God. And with the rest of your life, whatever you have left, here's what I want you to give yourself to. I want you to make disciples. That's really the, the overall imperative. And then the others are really supporting. He's saying, what I mean is, I want to see conversions. I want to see people come to know me. I want to see people born again. I want to see them get a brand new start on their life. It's like you get to start life all over again. It's like my life just started right now. I was born again. And I want to see you baptize them. It's this outward expression of my faith to follow Jesus. It's this, it's this inward grace that I experience in that moment that God does something in me. 
But he said, then after you baptize them, I don't want you to just leave them alone. I want you to teach them everything I've commanded you, the life that you've seen me live, the things that I've been teaching. I want you to share that with others. And so here's what I learned from the passage, that as followers of Jesus Christ, we are expected by Jesus to, number one, share our faith with others and make disciples. You might remember Jesus said it to Peter and Andrew this way. If you will follow me, I will teach you how to fish for men. Here at Bethany First Church for a few years now, we've talked about a strategy for helping people come to know Jesus. And we talk about living with our arms open. You say, Rick, what, what's that about, living with your arms open? So this past week, Annette and I had quite an experience. And there were a couple of nights that we needed somewhere to sleep. And a very, a very sweet lady said, you can sleep at my house. And you know what she did when we got to her door, backpack on my back, dragging suitcases behind me? She opened her arms like this, and Annette and I fell into her arms. When you open your arms to people, people typically fall into your arms. What it's really saying is you belong here. There's a place for you. I'll make time and space for you. Come and hang out with me. Come and be a part of my life. Do what I do. Go to church with me. Eat with me. Let's spend time together. And so we've been praying this really simple prayer. It's got three parts. It's a beautiful prayer, I know, because I wrote it myself. Here's the way the prayer goes. Lord, bring somebody into my life today. Give me the wisdom to recognize them. And give me the grace to open my arms to them. I'm telling you, when I begin to pray that prayer, it's not only a few hours or a few days until I begin to look at somebody and say, God, is that them? Is that the person you've brought into my life? Of all the prayers I've ever prayed, that's the prayer that seems to get answered the quickest. I think it tells me where the, God, the heart of God is. So here's what we're saying. You belong. You belong before you believe. You belong before you behave like we behave. There's a place for you here. You belong with us. What we're saying when we open our arms is come and be a part of our lives. You can come to our church. You won't feel judged. You can come to our church. You won't feel unique. You can come to our church. You'll just feel love and kindness and grace. I pastored a church a few years ago. A lady comes up to me on Sunday morning. She says, Pastor Rick, I am so excited today because I have a neighbor that I've been building a friendship with ever since I moved there. And, and I've been begging her to come to church, and finally today she came for the first time. And I said, oh, I'm happy for you. That's great. She goes, well, something happened. I said, what happened? She said, well, she, she smokes, and, and she's concerned about setting, you know, in the church an hour without a cigarette. And, and so she thought, well, if I smoke right before I go in, then maybe I'll be okay for an hour. And, and uh, she said she was smoking the cigarette, and an usher, a greeter, came out to her and said, hey, hey, put that cigarette out. We don't smoke here. This is a church. Put that out. You can't smoke. And she said she's debating leaving. And I said, can I meet her? And she said, sure. So I went, and I said to the lady, I said, hey, I heard this is your first Sunday here. I'm so glad you've come. And she's kind of like, ah, you know, I'm not so happy. And I said, uh, I heard what happened do you feel like you need a cigarette? And she said, yes. And I said, well, why don't you go out this door with me? It won't be any problem. Nobody will say anything to you. 
And so we walked out the other door, and both of us had a cigarette together, and we had a really good conversation. And no, we really didn't. But she had one. You know what happened during those few minutes she was smoking? I got to talk to her. I got to learn about her. I got to invest just for a minute in her life. She came back in, and she was part of the church, and she kept coming back. You know what I think he did? I think he reversed the order. I think he said, if you behave like I think you should behave, and if you come to believe like I believe, then and only then can you belong. That's not open arms, folks. Can you show me the other slide again? Open arms says you belong. There's a place for you right here. Come and hang out with us. We want you here. We want you to be a part of our community. There's a place for you. You belong. And one day you may believe. And you know what? When that person believes, it will probably affect the way they, they live their lives someday. But we say, first of all, you belong. I got to remind you of what C.S. Lewis said, who was a crazy great writer. He says it's easy to think that the church has a lot different objects like education, and we have buildings, and we have missions, and we hold services on Sundays. But he said the church exists for nothing else but to draw men into Christ. That's why we're here, to see people come to know Jesus. He said if they're not doing that, then all the cathedrals and the clergy and the missions and the sermons are simply, listen to what he says, a waste of time. God became man for no other purpose. What? Did you say amen? I agree. If, if I, we here at Bethany First Church are not seeing people's lives transformed, please tell me what in the world are we doing and what's it all about? So, we as followers of Jesus are expected by Jesus to draw people to Jesus. And, and then we're expected to help them become like Jesus. And we're all expected to become more like Jesus. Here, here, here I'm going to get in your head a minute because here's what some people are thinking. There are many Christians who talk to me like this, and they struggle to believe that they will ever become more like Jesus. Rick, I don't know how God is ever going to change me to become more like Jesus. And, and they struggle to believe that they will ever help someone else become more like Jesus. How can I help somebody else become more like Jesus if, if I'm struggling? And many Christians struggle to believe that they will ever help someone else come to know Jesus. Let me address that. I left my house Thursday night to run to the grocery store in the snow at the intersection near my house was still pretty deep. And, and cars were just stopping at this four-way stop, and they weren't getting going again. And there was this lady who was just holding up everything, and she could not get her vehicle to move. And so it was kind of cool. A bunch of us jumped out of our vehicles and ran over to her. It was really neat. And I knocked on the window and said, roll it down. And she did. And I said, okay, we're going to back up. 
and then we're going to get a little bit of a running start, and we're going to get you through here, okay? And so I'm, I'm at her window, and, and her window is down, and she backs up a little. I said, okay, now, I want you to give it gas, and everybody else is behind her car, and I'm pushing like this, and I'm going, okay, don't let off your gas. Don't, and she's letting, don't let off, okay? You got to keep, keep going, okay? Gotta keep your momentum. And the whole time that I'm like this, and she's there, you know, she's saying, oh, Jesus, 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 Jesus. And I said, hey, and she looks over at me, and I said, Jesus is with you, and he sent all of us to help you. Let's go. Keep on the gas. And that's what Jesus says here. Lord, I'm not enough. I don't know enough. I'm not adequate. And he says, I'm Jesus, and I'm with you. In fact, he says it this way, I will be with you to the very end. I will always be with you. I'm not sending you out to do something on your own and by yourself. I'm right by your side. And there's times I'm going to send a bunch of people to help you. You can become more like Jesus, and you can help people come to know him. Annette and I were stranded in Houston, Texas for five days. Stranded for five days. We were there about four days before that, but we were stranded for five days. Houston, Texas had the toughest four days that they've experienced in 40 years, 30 years. And Annette and I were there for all four of them. So here's what happened every day. We got a text that said your air, your flight has been delayed. You've been scheduled for another flight tomorrow. The next day we got the same text. The next day we got the same text. And the next day we got the same text. You might say, well, that's all in good. Just enjoy a vacation with your friends Jeffrey and Julie. Hang out at their house. That's kind of what we were thinking until their water pipes burst. And so now we're cutting up carpet that's wet and dragging carpet and padding out of their house, out by the street. And we got shop vacs, and we're trying to vacuum up things, and we're trying to save stuff. The electricity goes off again. And now we're freezing, and we're wet, and we're cold. And the next day, more pipes burst. And the next day, more pipes burst. Four days in a row, a total of seven pipes burst. Every day we are getting up water. And I, I'm feeling so bad. My heart is breaking for my friends as they're just kind of watching their house come to pieces. In houses all around them, the, eight, the ten houses that are their closest neighbors, eight of them had burst pipes. Dining room ceilings are falling onto dining room tables. It was awful. I've never seen neighbors come around beside each other like that in all of my life. It was awesome, but it was hard. It was emotionally draining for everybody. You know what I learned about myself in those four days? I learned that there's some things that I value. One of the things that I value is electricity. I love electricity. I love lights on, and I love the television on, and I love heat coming out of vents. I'm nuts about electricity. The other thing that I learned is I value very much, I value running water. Let me, let me correct that. I value water where runs, that runs where it's supposed to. That's what I value. And so because I value things, I do things. Okay, it affects the way that I live my life. You know what I do every month? I pay an electric bill and I pay a utilities bill every month. And I'm going to gladly do that the rest of my life. So we at Bethany First Church said, if we believe 
that God is calling us to be passionate about helping people come to know Jesus and helping people become more like Jesus, then what do we value? And we've been saying this for a few years. We value being with God. We value time with Him. What we're doing right now, we value this greatly. We value being with one another. We value being with people who don't know Jesus. That's very important in our lives. We've got to be spending time with people who don't know Jesus. And we value living generously. So you say, if that's what we value, then what does that mean that we do? And so for a few years now, we've talked about six practices, and here they are. Worshiping together. What we're doing right now, extremely important. One-on-one time with God. Finding some time in your day, every day, to spend time with just you and God. His Word open in front of you. Prayer happening. You talking to Him. Listening as God speaks to you. Group life is a practice that we think is really, really important. You know what? God does something in my life when I'm practicing these things. It's often when I come to church on Sunday morning that God speaks to me. When Kim Bryan spoke this morning, God spoke to me. Did he speak to you? When I get up in the morning and I spend time in God's Word and time in prayer, it's often there that God corrects me and challenges me. I was in a group on a Sunday morning about a year ago, and the teacher was teaching And let me tell you something, God spoke to me. And in that moment, I said, God, I am sorry. I am am living my life not like you want me to live in that area, and I want you to forgive me. By your grace, I'm going to correct that. God did something in me. When we share our faith, when we serve with abandon, I go on a missions trip, and I grow more in two weeks than I've grown in 20 years. When I give up my resources, I can't tell you how many people have said, Pastor Rick, When we made the commitment to renew this sanctuary and we wrote down that dollar number, God began to do something inside of me. And He began to change me. I'm talking about how God transforms us. How God helps us to become more like Jesus. How He imparts His grace, channels His grace into our hearts and our lives. How does that happen? Well, we don't use Amazon for that, I'll tell you that. We don't put in an order and say, we need a little of God's grace, and and behold, uh, you open your front door the next afternoon, and there's the box, and you open it up, and you just each drink a little of God's grace. That's not how it works. But as Wesleyans, we talk a lot about means of grace and channels of grace, and how do I really change, and how do I really become more like Jesus? And we have learned that God uses many means, and here are some of those means that God uses. I remember standing, I'll come back to that in a moment, I remember standing in the foyer one day, and a guy who was not young, a older than me, he said, hey man, this stuff really works. I said, what really works? He said, oh, you've been preaching this stuff, and about three months ago, I decided I was going to start reading my Bible and praying every morning. Tears well up in his eyes. He nods at me. His bottom lip begins to tighten and quiver. He says, it's changing me. It's not about you changing you. It's about God changing you. Only God can change your heart. 
All you can do is show up. And you know what? You can't even show up without His grace. <laughs> Think about how you've struggled over the years to be consistent in your one-on-one -on -one time with God. You know what I know. You need God's grace to even show up. But if I show up today, God, for church, if I show up in the morning for one-on-one -on -one time, if I show up at my group, if I show up to serve, if I show up to give, Will you change me? Will you transform me? I'll show you something really good, okay? Watch your thoughts. They will become your words. Watch your words because they will become your actions. Watch your actions because they will become your habits. Could you substitute the word practices right there? Watch your practices. They become your character. Watch your character for it becomes your destiny. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to take just one minute here. And I want you to think about your daily practices. What do you mean, Rick? I mean, what you physically do with your day. If you say, well, when I get up in the morning, I make a cup of coffee and I watch the morning news. That's a practice. That's a daily practice. And think now throughout the rest of your day, your practices. And then ask yourself this question. Are my daily practices helping me become more like Jesus or less like Jesus. We can do a whole lot of this right here. You know? Is that helping me become more like Jesus? Or is that making me less like Jesus? And so what practices do I need to delete? And what practices do I need to add? I've never had anybody say to me, Rick, I don't go to church. I don't pray and read my Bible. I don't participate in a small group. I wouldn't do that. That's weird. I don't share my faith with others. I don't do any giving. I think my money's for me. I don't serve anywhere. But I am growing in my faith by leaps and bounds. I've never heard anybody say that. But when people tell me they are growing in their faith, I say, talk to me. And here's what they say. I found this church. Or I got in this small group. Or I started reading my Bible. Or I began to serve somewhere. And God is changing me. Father, change us, I pray. In Jesus' name.